Well, speaking of Christmas, I've come to realize the older I've gotten, uh, I have no shame in admitting that Christmas is my favorite holiday. I used to feel weird about it because I feel like, I felt like it was the most basic answer ever. Because in my mind, like Christmas is one of the major holidays that you hear people enjoy and celebrate the most, right? So I used to always be like, I don't know if I really want that as my favorite holiday. And then I would be like, oh, no, 4th of July, that's my favorite. You get to like cook out and you get to blow things up, but it's like okay to do it. You know what I mean? And it's like pretty and all this stuff. So that was my favorite. Then it was Thanksgiving because all the food was super good. And now I've kind of come full circle and I'm like, you know what? Christmas is my favorite holiday. It just straight up is. And obviously Christ is the reason for the season. And so there's absolutely no shame in admitting that it's my favorite holiday. But even with Christ being the reason for the season, I'm going to be hundred percent honest with you guys. The one thing that I always want for Christmas, I tell Taylor this, my wife, every single year, but the one thing that I always want for Christmas is at least just one gift to open under the tree. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's tradition of just waking up and having gifts under the tree. And I tell her, you don't have to get me anything nice or super expensive. You don't have to get me a ton of gifts. As long as I can open one thing that's actually wrapped, I'll be super happy on Christmas morning. Does anybody else share that sentiment? No. I'm just selfish. Okay. I get it. I'm like, it can be a pack of gum. Just put a ribbon on it and I'm good. Like that's all I want. I just want to open something on Christmas because it's exciting. It's an exciting season, but obviously Christ is the reason for the season. And speaking of gifts, we are talking about the gift of grace today. Everybody say grace. The title of my message is the gift of grace. So we're talking about the gift of grace. It is a free gift that is given by God. And uh, grace is kind of not a funny thing, but it seems like one of those words that we should just automatically know as Christians and be super familiar with. But I found myself, I'm a youth pastor for those who don't know. So I found myself at youth group talking about grace just in a really short span. And one of the youth students asked me like, well, what is grace? Like, how do you define grace? And I had a surprisingly difficult time describing grace. Like when I was actually put on the spot, I was like, the definition of grace. I'm like, well, it's a free gift from God and it's, it's sympathetic, I guess. And it's kind, but I kind of had my, my hard time describing what grace was to this youth student. And so I realized like, I should probably figure that out. Grace is often considered something that has to do with simply sympathy or handling something gracefully for lack of a better term, right? Like when I was working at Starbucks with pastor Susie a long time ago, um, she was always way happier and more kind to people in the drive-thru than I was. Um, I'm not really a people person, believe it or not, especially when it's early in the morning, like when I'm opening at Starbucks. So if I had like a rude customer or something, I immediately just wanted to end the transaction and move on with my day. And she would always remind me like, you need to have grace with people, right? And I hear this also said like with, I've heard it with my parents talking with their now, they're always babysitting my my sister's kids. And so their grandparents and I see them get frustrated sometimes. And I hear my mom tell my dad, like, you need to have grace with them. Right. And so grace has spoken with this kind of, um, I guess, understanding that you need to be handling something with this kind of patience, with this kindness and this love just so happens to be fruits of the spirit. So it makes sense. Right. So that's kind of what we think of when we think of grace. Another thing that we think of with grace is somebody being graceful. Everybody say graceful somebody being graceful. Now, the number one thing that I think of with gracefulness is cats. I know people don't like cats, but I have two of them. I've been surrounded by them my whole life. I know cats very well. 
Here's the interesting thing about cats. Cats are the most graceful animals on this planet when they want to be. And they very much so choose when that is. So in the mornings, in the early mornings, whether it's four in the morning, five in the morning, six in the morning, one of my cats, if she wants attention, she will jump up on our dresser. And if you're in our room and you come in, you're gonna think that a bomb went off because it's all like messy and everything on top of this dresser, but it's actually intentional. So my wife has intentionally made almost no space on top of this dresser for this cat to be able to land or walk on. She's just completely cluttered it with stuff. And somehow my cat can still jump up here, not even being able to see it until she jumps. She'll be able to jump up their land and walk around and kind of like chew on plastic and like, you know, bat at some jewelry and make any kind of noise to get our attention. It's the most annoying thing. So she's very graceful, but she also will knock things off of the dresser for fun. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen cats be on like a surface where there's things getting knocked over. If anything gets knocked over by a cat, it's 100% intentional. It is never accidental, right? But these cats, when they want to be, they are graceful creatures. And the way that you can kind of think of gracefulness with a cat and actually compare it to what we're talking about today is gracefulness, if you look at a creature or even a person like a ballet dancer or something, somebody that's graceful with what they do, they are usually doing something in a way where they are avoiding a type of damage or catastrophe, right? They're going through something without clumsiness. They're going through something without causing damage, right? They're very graceful in it and avoiding it all. And so grace can mean a lot of different things at face value. And I think we kind of have a vague understanding of it. But whenever I don't know the definition of something, you can Google it. That's kind of helpful. Dictionaries, that's what they're for. But especially when we're talking about Christ and the things of God, I always like to look in his word, right? So when we look at his word, when we look at the Bible to learn about grace, it's not quite as black and white. Like it's not quite as of a definition or a definite definition as faith would be. Faith is actually in the Bible straight up. So Hebrews 11.1 1 is going to be on the screen here. Um, so you guys don't have to turn there. Our next one's going to be in uh, Ephesians if you'd rather turn there. But Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us straight up the definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It's very clear about faith and we're going to need this for today's lesson. So don't forget the definition of faith. But grace isn't exactly as easily defined. It's talked about all over the Bible, but I don't think it's laid out the same way that faith is. But in Ephesians 2.8, I had you guys turn to Ephesians 2.8. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Everybody say gift of God. Grace is a gift. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. In other words, grace allowed us to be saved. I think a lot of times when we talk about grace and faith and joy and salvation and all this stuff, it's kind of easy to just nod your head and agree. But if you don't actually break these scriptures down and realize there's very distinct, I guess, methods of how these are defined, you kind of miss some things. So sometimes I'll talk to people and we're like, yeah, we're saved by grace. And they'll agree with that, which is true. We're not saved through grace. We are saved by grace. According to his word, we're saved by grace, but it's through faith that we are saved. The difference there is that we have to make the decision to declare Jesus Christ as Lord. And we have to have the faith 
to declare that out. Does that make sense? You have to have faith in him. It is your decision. But God's grace allowed you to be in a position where that could actually happen. Because how many of you guys know, and I'm jumping way ahead, so I'll have to recenter here, but still, how many of you guys know that God cannot be near sin, right? He's holy, he's pure, he can't be near sin. That's the whole reason that Jesus came and did his thing and was the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we could actually get close to God. But it is by grace that he allows us to have the time to hear the word, to learn about Christ, and then make the decision to make him Lord. Without his grace, we might not actually have the time to learn about Christ, or we might not have the forgiveness. Like if we walk in any kind of sin, you think of any testimony you hear about people that didn't even know the Lord and they were walking in sin, doing these things separate from God, without his grace, that could be the end of it. That could be the, the end all. Like, nope, you are doing something that's completely separate from me. You don't have even the option now to declare me as Lord or learn about me. It is by his grace that we even have the option to be saved through faith. You see the difference there? By grace, through faith. We're all there? Good. Okay. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a free gift from God. We're going to back up a little bit. I've talked about this the last time that I spoke, but cherry picking scripture is one of like the worst things you can do. If you're not in God's word and you feel like you've never read his word and you just like to see those verses now and then, I'd rather have you do that than not read. But I am encouraging you every time you see a verse that you enjoy or speaks to you, open just that chapter. Ephesians 2.8. Cool. I like this verse. Let's read all of Ephesians 2 now. It will give you context, right? If we back up to Ephesians 2 verse 4, we're going to see the scripture that we just read. But now that we have some context, listen to this. Starting at verse 4, Ephesians 2, verse 4, it says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Again, by grace, we've been saved, not through grace. And raised us up with him and is seated, uh, seated us with him in the heavenly place, uh, places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, we've already read this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. It continues on the next two verses that we didn't read earlier. Verse 9, this is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We learn so much in this passage of scripture. We read from verse four to verse 10. That's six verses. And yet this teaches us so much about, well, multiple things. It teaches a lot about God and his love for us. It teaches us about Jesus Christ, our King. And it also teaches us about grace. It also teaches us about salvation. We cannot earn our salvation. We can't be saved by the works that we do. We can't come to church a certain amount of times and all of a sudden we're saved. We can't chuck up a bunch of prayers and once we hit like a certain amount, then we're saved. Or it's not the amount of good prayers that we had that are powerful or the healings that we've asked God to work through us that causes us to be saved. We can't do anything to earn his or our salvation, right? It is given. It's a free gift of God but we still have to make the choice. So it's not by works, even though you declared 
Christ your Lord. So you do have to make the decision. But this tells us a lot about God, this whole passage of scripture. So starting at verse four, I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but literally the beginning. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So we learn from this scripture that God is rich in love and he's rich in mercy. And I think some people can hear that and they can ask the question, or at least I've heard it asked a lot of times, how can God be rich in mercy and yet bad things happen? How can God be rich in something like mercy? He's a merciful God. And yet he doesn't stop people from ending up in hell. How can we serve such a loving God or how can there be a loving God that is rich in mercy and people are in hell or bad things happen, right? They always kind of wrestle with that exact uh, question here. But his grace is what is merciful for us. When it says that he's rich in love and mercy, it's talking about his grace. His grace is what allows us to actually do things like be witness to, right? We're protected in certain ways. His grace allows us to learn about Christ so that we are saved. So when people say, why doesn't he stop people going from hell or going to hell? He is. He is empowering people like you and I to preach the gospel, to preach the good news, and actually give our testimonies to people so that they can encounter Christ and be saved. Does that make sense? You see the difference there? God is actively working through people all of the time in order to stop bad things happening, in order to stop people going to hell. He's not just choosing to turn a blind eye to it and then nature runs its course. He is actively doing things and working through you and I. That is by his grace that he wants people to be saved. In fact, if you look back at Adam and Eve, his whole intention was just to be with mankind and fellowship with them. He had all of this set up for them, right? He had all of this great stuff for them. And people would be like, well, then why didn't it just stay that way? If God's so powerful and he loves us, why would he allow the fall of man to happen, right? Why wouldn't he just control the environment and nothing ever bad would happen? We would just live in the Garden of Eden and all be happy. God loved us so much and he's rich in mercy and love. He gave us free will. I don't want to serve a God that forces me to do things without my choice. I want to serve a God that gives me the free will and he's so good that I choose to serve him because of that. Does that make sense? God is rich in mercy. He is rich in love and his grace is his love for us. So not only does his grace give us time to be saved, if we've not yet heard about him, but his grace also allows us to experience eternal life after this one and abundant life while we are still here on earth. I think every single time that you read in scripture about eternal life, it's very easy to bring your mindset to that means in heaven. That means after I die. That means eternal life after this one when I'm saved and I'm in heaven with Jesus and God and we're chilling and everything's good. It's really easy to put your mind there when you read eternal life. But part of eternal life starts now. When you give your life to Christ and you are born again, you now actually have access to eternal life, which starts now, in my opinion. He wants you to have a full and abundant life here on earth while you are still living with your flesh. You have access to it. Romans 5, 20 through 21 says this, now the law came 
in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we talk about the abundant life that we have available here on earth, what it looks like is, is kind of this. It's living with righteousness, right? You and I can't just be the righteousness of God by simple acts. We talked about we can't earn our salvation by works, right? You and I can't just attain being the righteousness of God by anything that we do, no matter how many, whatever, charities you donate to and all those kind of goodwills that people think of. We can't become the righteousness of God through these kind of acts. The righteousness of God is something that God sees us as through the lens of Jesus Christ because of what Jesus did. And so when we're here on earth and we've given our life to Christ, we now have access and the ability to experience an abundant life filled with righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Righteousness. While we are here on earth, we get to experience righteousness. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness or through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this is what's interesting to me. When I hear testimonies from people, it obviously ranges from all different dynamics. People have experienced different parts of life, harshnesses of life, different cultures, different upbringings, all these things. And so you hear this whole array of testimonies. You hear people that were at, at absolute rock bottom. You heard people that were opposed to God coming to a relationship with him. And then there's some people that I meet that I'm going to talk about here that have a testimony that's somewhere along the lines of, I grew up in church. I always knew God. And they're just kind of bored with it. I've talked to these people a lot at youth groups. I've talked to them at, at uh, ministry camps or events, for lack of a better term. And kind of the general consensus with a lot of these people is they are timid and shy to share their testimony. Why? Because they feel like it's not powerful enough. They feel like if they meet a person who needs God and wants to know more about him, they don't want to share their testimony because they're like, well, I've just kind of always known him. And they're like, tell me about God. What's your life like? Like, what, did, what made you turn to God? And they just kind of feel, well, he's just always been there. I don't know, I, you know? And they feel their testimony is boring, like it hasn't done much. But the encouragement is, if that's you, you have lived a life under God's grace your entire life. You have experienced what it's like to have righteousness available to you. God has loved you so much that you have not had to go through the wiles of torment and sin and temptation and all these things that are separate from him just to come running back to him. Does that make sense? That doesn't make you better than anybody else. It's an encouragement that your testimony is that I have been covered by God's grace my entire life. So we talked about grace being something in the form of time to learn about Christ and then make a decision. But ultimately grace is his love for us and it's a protection for us. You're protected because you actually have the time to learn about him and be witness to, to make that decision. That is protection. Like we talked about, but these people that have a testimony similar to, I've just always known God and grown up in the church and so on and so forth. They've been protected by grace. That doesn't mean that they've never had anything bad happen to them. That just means if they feel like they've had a boring life, what's actually happened is that God has protected them from all the evils that could be happening. And the exciting part is, if you're bored with that, 
I would encourage you to actually go to the Lord and tell him. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more, but God wants to be in a relationship with us, which means he wants to have honest, open conversations. If you've known God your entire life and you're bored, you need to tell him that you're bored because he will change that immediately. He will give you things that are within his will that he still wants you to do. And you're going to see him be powerful and move through it. You're going to be uncomfortable. You won't be bored anymore. Being bored in a testimony oftentimes just tells me that that person has been covered by God's grace most of their life. And that is something to celebrate. Does that make sense? So if that's you, you should be celebrating. And I would encourage you, there's exciting things ahead when you draw close to him. Being under grace and doing his will is like an umbrella of protection. I told this to the youth as well because I relate to the youth a lot because I made like a lot of choices in high school that weren't great things. So when I see them making choices that aren't the greatest things, I'm like, this is what happened with me. Learn from it. I just feel like I relate to them a lot, even though I'm not a parent or anything. But when I was explaining grace to one of the youth, I was talking about how grace is, like we talked about, an umbrella of protection. You can literally think of it as an umbrella. So when you're walking with God and you are actually doing your best to like do his will and he is with you, you are hearing from him and everything, you are kind of under this umbrella of grace. Again, doesn't mean anything bad will never happen to you. It just means that you are protected. Now, when you step out of that umbrella, what happens? You are exposed to the elements. You're going to get wet, right? You're walking through the rain now and you are experiencing what it's like not to be protected by his umbrella. And sometimes you can just go through without the umbrella of grace and get a little bit wet and everything's okay. You just dry off. But sometimes you can go out into the storm and get struck by lightning. You know what I mean? And so people will walk outside of God's will and actively choose not to be protected by his grace by walking in sin. And then bad things will happen. And normally the assumption is I was punished by God for sinning. I was punished by God because I because cho- I chose not to walk with him. I'm like, no, you weren't punished by God because you chose not to walk with him. God gave you eyes to see and you chose to cover your eyes and walk out into traffic. You just happened to get hit by a car. It's that kind of analogy, right? God's grace is an umbrella for us to protect us. And when we walk outside of his will and we actively choose not to walk with him for whatever reason, we are exposed to the elements. That doesn't mean something bad will always happen, but it also means that he also doesn't have that protection just automatically available for us. Does that make sense? Are we tracking? Okay, cool. And so I'll tell the youth this and explain things like, you know, they'll say like, ah, yeah, you know, this was happening this night or whatever. And I was invited, but I just like had a bad feeling about it. I didn't want to go. And I'm like, for all you know, that could have been God looking out for you and you just chose to obey him. Who knows what would have happened? And people will look at events like that. Like, let's say they were going, chose not to go to a party or something. And they'll look at the party happen and it's a blast and nothing bad happens. And they're like, oh, I guess I heard God wrong because nothing bad happens. You don't know that. If you were there, something totally different could have happened. Maybe he was telling you, I don't want you to be here on this night at this time. It's a protection of grace when we walk with God in his will. Make sense? Cool. We don't get punished by God by not listening to him. We just actively position ourselves in a way where we aren't protected by his grace. So now we are exposed to the fallen world so things can happen. So when we draw close to him and run back to him, we are now protected by his grace again. Okay, we will move on. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, is another translation. The New Living Translation says this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ Jesus. So when you hear a message like this and you learn about grace and you learn about all of these things that you're supposed to be protected from and the way that you get protected is by always being close to God, it can be really easy to feel guilty. It can be really easy to think like, well, I'm not always walking perfectly with God. Does that mean I'm not protected by his grace? And then all of a sudden you have this element of fear, which is not from God. What we need to remember and remind ourselves is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that he could be the sacrifice for sin. When people think about, like we were talking about, God punishes people that sin, they think he's pouring out his wrath on sin. They think he's pouring out his wrath on people that are disobeying him. But the thing is, God already poured out his wrath on sin. And it happened in, it's the reason for the season. It happened in the most intense way possible. He poured it out on his own son, the one who never sinned. So Jesus did nothing wrong and yet he got punished. How was that right? Well, no, he was the sacrifice and he willingly chose to do this for the love of God for us. Does that make sense? That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 is saying. Jesus didn't know anything close to sin. He knew what it was, obviously, but he never knew what it was like to experience sinning against God. And all of a sudden, in a moment's notice, when he was put on the cross, he filled himself with sin. He became sin for us because then God poured out his wrath on him to put sin to death. And Christ came to life again. That's what's so powerful. I feel like every time people talk about, for some reason, maybe it's just the people I talk to, Every time people talk about Christ, they're like, he became sin for us, and then the wrath of God was poured out on him, and sin was put to death, and they end it there. And I'm like, he was risen to life. He's a reigning king now. That's like the best part, and that's the part that we get to experience. Anyway, my point is that when people think about grace, and they get worried, and they live in fear that they're not walking in God's will, and they think, if something bad happens, that means I'm getting punished by God. God already poured out his wrath on sin. So if you are sinning and you recognize that, all you have to do is repent and come back to the Lord because his blood paid for your sin. It's covered. So when you repent and you confess that to him and you say, God, I want to draw close. I want to tr come back to you. You are forgiven. That is washed away. The wrath against sin that God poured out has already happened. That's not going to happen on you. Don't let it build up and not take care of it because you're afraid of what God's going to do. Coming to him will put you back under the umbrella of grace. Romans 5, 9 says this, since before or since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So that lays it out pretty cleanly or clearly to me. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. What does it mean to be justified by his blood? That means that any kind of sin that we've done when we come to God and we actually confess it and we ask to be 
forgiven, we are now actually cleansed by his blood. We are justified by the sacrifice that he made for us. It goes on. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You don't need to be worried about being stricken down by God just because you're sinning. But you should be concerned if that just means, oh, I get to go do whatever I want. This is such an act of love that it should compel you to do whatever you can to walk as close to God as you can. Does that make sense, the difference there? Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Everyone say grace. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is exactly what we're talking about. We don't serve Jesus Christ, our Lord, who knows nothing about sin, doesn't know what it's like to be tempted. He was here. He's been tempted more times than I think we realize. And he defeated sin, put sin to death on the cross, and was risen again. He understands what it's like to be tempted. And so if you've been tempted before, that's everybody, by the way. And you've fallen to sin before, that's everybody, by the way. Guess what? We have a Lord who knows what it's like to be tempted by sin, and he understands. And so the instruction now is to draw close to the throne of God grace. There's a reason it's called the throne of grace, because when we enter into a building like this or a worship service or a time of prayer or getting into our word, and we feel like there's all this dirty laundry we got to air out with God, we need to recognize that, yes, you should repent. You should feel like you don't want this in your life anymore. That's true. But guilt and condemnation are not from God and drawing close to his throne, it defines it as a throne of grace especially in a time of need. And so if you feel like you need God, know that the throne that you draw close to is not a scary, intimidating throne. It is a throne of grace. It's a powerful throne, but you shouldn't be afraid to approach it. Not if you've given your life to Christ. Does that make sense? Good. God is good. <laughs> I thought somebody was going to say all the time. I was ready for it. Thank you. And all the time, God is good. God is so good. Everything that Christ has done wasn't just so that we could live an eternal life after this one, but it was so that we could have an abundant life filled with righteousness here on earth. What it looks like to always be walking under that umbrella of grace, to not fall into the temptation of sin and experience the things that God has for us, the plans that God has for us. We're supposed to experience that now, not wait until we die just to be in heaven. He has plans for you right now to walk into. And so if you don't know what those are, I encourage you, draw close to him, draw close to the throne of grace so that he can be with you. All of this, everything that we talked about should invoke a passion and this kind of desire to be with God. It should, it should light a fire in you where you don't have to like listen to worship music or try to get into your word or talk with a pastor or whatever it is, just so that you feel compelled to draw close to God. What God has done should naturally turn us to want to be with him. And if I'm being truthfully honest with you, I hope somebody relates or else I'm going to feel real bad about myself. I pretty rarely have that passion to draw close to God in my everyday life. I kind of have to willingly put myself in a place to feel that way, right? I was talking with a friend recently, and even before that, I said this in our pre-service prayer. 
Um, but I was talking with Pastor Jay like Thursday, maybe? It was probably Thursday or Tuesday. I don't know. But I was talking with him just about ministry. And when you're talking with other people as a pastor, how do you minister to them in specific ways? I was kind of listening to his advice because he's my senior pastor and my mentor, right? That's how this works. And I'm a pastor. I like to learn from him. And wouldn't you know it, surprise, surprise, the spoiler was, the bottom line is he said you always point people to Jesus. It always works. <laughs> but within that conversation, there was a lot of advice. And he was talking to me about somebody he was ministering to and in that interaction, he asked this person, are you in love with, with Christ? Are you in love with Jesus? And this person is a Christian. They're a believer. They serve in ministry. And they're like, well, yeah, obviously. No. Are you in love with Christ? And I think this person kind of had to check their heart in their moment and be like, well, I love Christ. I love Jesus. But I don't know if I would say that I'm actively in love with him at this moment. And I kind of compared this. I, I, not I noticed when Jay was telling me the story, I was like, as a pastor, this is super weird and embarrassing to say, but I don't know if I'm in love with Christ right now. I had to check my heart. I was like, am I in love with Jesus? Because I feel like I just love him. See, the difference is I'm in love with my wife to the point where I'll be driving home at times and just think like, oh, I should pick up a gift for Taylor because she would love this. You don't have to think about it. It's just kind of automatic because you love that person, right? You're in love with them. To which I told Taylor this because it was a revelation for me. And she had said, you don't bring me gifts. So I should be expecting that now. <laughs> and I was like, good point. But Christmas is coming. So we're good. But I think about bringing her gifts. <laughs> but you hear what I'm saying, right? It should be a natural thing with you because of your relationship with that person where you want to draw close to them automatically. You shouldn't just hear about it in a sermon or read his word and think, "Be oh, I should draw close to God because I know I'm supposed to do that, right? And so I had to realize like, okay, if I'm not in love with Jesus, what do I, what do, I do? Because I have been in love with Jesus many times throughout my testimony in my life living for Christ. It's not like it's never happened, but I feel like I go through seasons of being in love with him. You see the difference? And so I felt guilty because I'm like, as a pastor, that's not right. And I want to be in love with Jesus like I really do. And so I don't know if Pastor Jay was telling me this to me or if he was telling me the story about who he was talking to. But either way, he said, if you find yourself in this position where you don't know if you're in love with Christ, you can ask him to help you be in love with him. You can ask Jesus, Jesus, help me fall back in love with you again. And if you've never experienced Jesus, by the way, if you're not in a relationship with him, you can ask him too. Lord, help me fall in love with you as a first-time thing. And so that's exactly what I did this week. And it's been absolutely amazing. I can't even explain um, materialistically what happened or a specific moment or anything, but it's like all of a sudden, everything that I do, I just feel God walking with me in. I explained this this morning, but even little, 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 little things. When I'm uh, up in the morning, when I first wake up, I'm really irritable in the mornings. And so I got here early this morning at church and I was printing off worship music uh, or I'm sorry, I was printing off my sermon notes. So I was in the back and I was by myself in this whole building. And then all of a sudden I just hear this boom and I looked up and it's Pastor Susie and she scared the crap out of me. Susie scared me so bad. Now, normally in the mornings I'm irritable and I have a good relationship with Susie. So I'm not really afraid to like hold back with her. I would have been like, oh my gosh, like, why would you do that? Like I would have been annoyed. 
But instead, I was just like pure shock, and then I found it hilarious. And I do, as as trivial as that sounds and little as it sounds, I am telling you that in the past, I don't know, four days or whatever, I have noticed the difference of the condition of my heart simply because God has been walking with me because I asked to fall back in love with Jesus. Even last night, I was really tired, and I knew I had to kind of format my sermon correctly. I was like, it's all there. It's just not in order. And so it was like 10 o'clock or something like that, and I was exhausted. And Taylor was like, I'm going to bed. I'm like, cool, wish I could go to bed, but I got to work on my sermon. And so at first I was dreading it, and then I got in here, and I was reading the word, and I was like starting to text Pastor Jay at 1 in the morning because of a revelation that I had about grace. And I'm really glad I didn't send it because he wouldn't have said anything because he was sleeping. And then I would have been like, what the heck? Don't you get how cool this is? The point of all this is, I know I'm going off on tangents. Last few days, because I asked Christ to help me fall back in love with him, I have noticed exactly that happening, right? And so if you feel like you're hearing all this and you think, ah, yeah, I, I should be doing all of that. I just don't feel it. That's a really good thing to recognize. And I would encourage you to draw close to Christ and tell him exactly that. Because much like personal revelations, the things of God oftentimes are not going to click for you from hearing it from somebody else. They're only going to click when it's a personal revelation for you. Like, I don't know how else to explain it, but I can tell you all the right things. But until you realize it for yourself and it clicks, that's when transformation happens. And the only way that's going to happen is if you draw close to God. So then I had ministry time just yesterday with a friend. I met with them at a coffee shop. We were just talking about life. And this person told me like, you know, I love God. I think about him all of the time. I just don't ever draw close to him. And they're extremely busy. This person's extremely busy. And I'm like, I get it. That's exactly what I went through this week. If you feel like I think about God all the time, I just haven't been in a relationship with God. The answer to being a relationship with him. But the real answer is to ask him to help you fall back in love with him. Does that make sense? And by all of this happening, by him allowing you to walk through this, you are experiencing his grace. Does that make sense? You're with me. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think I'm going to end here, actually. We're going to look at James 4, 6 through 8, and I'm going to wrap up with this. But grace, we've talked about in a lot of different definitions here. But at the bottom of the line, the way that I would define grace is God's love, his patience, and his forgiveness towards us. Because all of those things place us in a position to now, through faith, be saved, right? If I heard about God being this horrible punisher, dictator type of God, I don't think I would want to be saved through faith. I don't think I would want to make that declaration. But it's because of his grace and his goodness towards me that I'm like, I want nothing else but to serve this God. You see the difference there? Now, the reason that some people may feel like I've never experienced the grace of God could be tied to what scripture tells us about grace. James 4, 6 through 8 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And so if you feel like 
I think about God all the time, but I never really spend time with him. You don't have that natural inkling to make time for him or be with him. I get it. I've been there. But I'm telling you, it's usually an issue of pride. That's not a guilty thing. I'm not guilting anybody. I'm telling you that pride looks differently than you first think about it, and it can show up in ways that you never even noticed. But going through life where you're going through the motions and you're relying on what? You're relying on your job for money. That's your provider, right? You're looking to different areas of your life to feel loved instead of going to God for love, right? You're doing all of these things and going through the motions, and it slowly kind of bring, uh, builds up pride. Because in the back of your mind, you're thinking, and I'm speaking to myself here, by the way, but you're thinking, I haven't really spent time with God lately. I haven't read my word. I haven't worshiped. I haven't prayed. I've kind of been doing life without God. And maybe life's not been great, but I've been getting through. Therefore, I'm living life without God and I can do it without him. Does that make sense? That's a prideful mindset to have whether your life's really successful or horrible and you're like, I need help, still without God involved in it, you were recognizing I can do life without God on a survival mode even, right? And so the solution, if you feel like you're not in love with God and you don't want to naturally be with him, is to humble yourself before him. It's funny, just like Jay had said, like what's the number one secret to having ministry time with people? He's like, bring them to Jesus. It's like, well, duh, that's the Sunday morning answer, right? That's the kids' church answer. But that's because it's always true. It's always true. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud. So no wonder if I'm living life without him and trying to do it on my own. I feel like he's distant and I can't hear from him. He opposes the proud. But he does give grace to the humble. And so how do you become humble? You submit yourself therefore to God and you resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I think that's the most important part of this scripture that I want us to um, remember is that if you draw near to God, you are doing an act of humbleness. You'll experience grace. But more importantly, in my opinion, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. This is not a one-way thing. You can run to the throne of grace he's running back. We good? Everybody with that? Okay. Truthfully, honestly, you guys, I want you to experience the grace of God in your life in a new capacity. Because if you feel like you've never experienced it, or maybe you've experienced it before and it's just kind of whatever, then I think there's a revelation to be had about God's love for you and his grace towards you. If you feel like you're just missing something from God, then I promise you there's more to come when you draw close to him, but you actually have to draw near to him. It is by grace that we are saved. And it's simply just God's love for us or God's love towards us causes us to make an active decision to want to be saved. And again, being saved is not just eternal life after this one. Being saved is experiencing abundant life here on earth with righteousness and away from sin. I've walked through many seasons of my life where I'm like, I know I shouldn't sin, but truthfully, I just want to, right? My flesh is just strong. Like, that's what I want right now. But when I'm actually humbling myself to God and I'm submitting to him, asking for help, help, asking him to fall back in love with him, all of a sudden, all of those like sinful desires fall off. Why? 
because God is actually answering me. He's drawing close to me and I'm being filled with righteousness. We're good. If you're filled with righteousness, there's no part of sin that will be a desire for your flesh. So that's exactly what I want to pray for you guys. So if you guys could actually stand with me, I'm going to pray with you. And then I think I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Jay up here. Seems like he has something he wants to say. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Well, if you guys would bow your heads with me as I pray. Father God, we thank you for being, just as we read in your word, a God that is rich in mercy, a God that is rich in love, that it's by your grace for us that we are saved. It's by your grace that we make the declaration that we want you to be Lord of our life through a faithful declaration. And God, I just thank you for being such a good and merciful God. Lord, that that doesn't mean that we just walk around and do whatever we want and everything's forgiven, but rather it means that we could never live up to the standard that it would take to be flawless and perfect and never sin. But we choose to walk as close to that as possible because we love you and we want your help to do that. We choose to do that because we want to experience this righteous life that is promised for us when we draw close to you. So Father God, I just pray for those who might have um, any kind of lies from the enemy believed in their hearts, that if they just come back to you, if they just draw close to your throne of grace again, that it's just going to be the same thing where it gets a little bit better and then they go on without their or throughout their days for months at a time without thinking about you and just feeling guilty about it. God, I just pray against those lies and I just thank you that when we draw close to you and we ask for your help, that you are a faithful God that helps us pursue the things that you have laid out for us, God. God, that you would never ask us to do something if we weren't actually capable of walking that out. Lord, that the things that you ask us to do are always going to be attainable when we draw near you and ask for your help, God. When we walk under the umbrella of grace, I thank you that it is something that is done out of pure love and it is a free gift for us that cannot be earned. But God, I just thank you for your grace that we experience it in so many different capacities. We will continue to experience it. But I pray that you'd be speaking to every person in this room this week specifically. In fact, I pray that you would be speaking to people in this room in this moment as we wrap up. God, I thank you for everything that you do. I thank you that you are a faithful God um, and we just love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.